Hello, and welcome back to the Sozo Ministries International offices here in Mbali, Uganda. My name is Scott Ingram. I'm the Apostolic Overseer of Sozo Ministries International. Uh, this is July 13th, 2020, and this is your Monday message. I uh, hope everybody is doing well. We are doing pretty good here, I think. We've uh, been moving forward on some uh, some legal projects, some things that need done. They're not overtly um, ministry-oriented, not preaching and teaching, but uh, dealing with some end-of-year wrap-up for Ugandan government, tax filing, those things that are due uh, in July, and then uh, working on some other uh, projects we have going on in, in that sphere. And so you can be praying for us. Uh, we're, we're trying to make sure everything with our organization is completely legal and upright in an age where Christians are accused of doing so much wrong and, and so many, um, you know, just shady things. And so we don't want to have that reputation. We want to do everything on uh, the complete up and up on uh, with, with our, our character and integrity as a ministry intact. And so uh, we're working towards making sure that's true. Um, not, that sounds weird. We're not doing anything shady. It's just making sure everything with the government shows that we're not doing anything shady. Let me put it like that. Um, but I just want to jump into it this, um, this afternoon. I, um, I've been thinking about these things about character, about our integrity, about how the world perceives us. And, you know, right now I have told you I'm struggling struggling being at home. I'm struggled, struggling with boredom and not being able to go out and preach. We have trainings planned. We have conferences and crusades planned. We should actually be wrapping up uh, this year's uh, global outreach mission this week. And instead, that's pushed off into the future. And so uh, I am kind of bored. And it's easy in this boredom, what I've noticed is it's easy to get sucked into the social media realm, into following the news media realm, into conspiracy theories, into arguments over what is true or not, arguing politics, all of these things. And so I really want us to talk about what it means to have the character of a Christian and how do we live that out um, uprightly in the world. And so I want us to look uh, this afternoon at Second Peter chapter 1. You'll have to excuse our guinea fowl, our fancy chicken. She is outside making noise outside my window. Um, anyway, 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 3. The Bible says this, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Look again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. The calling on the Christian life is that we should become like Jesus. 
And so he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell inside us. He has given us his spirit. Um, I, I call this uh, uh, the great mystery and the great exchange because there's this mystery in Scripture that says Jesus sends his spirit to dwell inside us while Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we are seated in heavenly places with him. So our spirit is in heaven seated with Christ. His spirit is here dwelling inside of us. It's this picture of the divine union where we are one with Christ. And what it's telling us is that through his promises and by his power, he has given to us everything we need to live this life in full godliness. And that it should be the goal of our life to to become partakers of this divine nature, that the divine DNA of God through the Holy Spirit working in us should conform us into Christ's image. And so that's what he says. He says, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Listen to me before we go to that next verse. We live in a sinful world. We have not yet fully escaped, and we won't until we die or until Christ returns to establish his kingdom completely. We are still surrounded by the corruption of this world. But he's saying that when we take on this divine DNA, this divine nature, that we escape the corruption of the world and all of the sinful desire. It is possible for you as a Christian to be conformed to the image of Christ and live completely sanctified to Him right now in this evil age. Now, this is difficult. This is a process. This is a journey. I'm not saying you can just do this today. And, and what we're going to continue reading as Peter writes is how this process looks. And so let's continue reading in uh, verses 5 to 7. For this reason, because you've escaped the corruption of the world and, and the sinful nature, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now let's talk about these things. So he is saying that God has given to us everything that we need to live a godly life, to live like Christ in this present evil world corrupted by sin, he has given us the Holy Spirit to impart his divine DNA. And so now, because of that, he says to, to let this process begin working in our life. And the first thing he says is let your faith become virtue. Let, let your supplement your faith with virtue. And so here's what that means. I've, I've been doing a word study on, on each of these things. And, and when it talks about our faith... This is simply talking about our confidence in God, in Jesus as our Savior, in the promises of God, in the promise that the Holy Spirit is with us and He's going to give us what we need to live this life. 
That's our faith. Our faith is in that Jesus is who he says he is and has done for us what he says he has done for us, and he's going to continue it until it's brought to completion. So all of us at the most basic level of Christians have faith, but he says supplement your faith with virtue. Now this word virtue, uh, it's not really a common word in the English language uh, anymore. Uh, it's still used in a lot of the old TV shows and movies, especially if you look at like early America, Revolutionary War, that, that high Renaissance era England, that the women protect their virtue. What it means, what virtue means is that your faith, your confidence, what you actually believe is put into practice with excellence. So virtue could be translated as excellence. It could be translated as merit, proving by your actions what you believe in your mind, that the thoughts in your head become what you do and you try living them out. And so if you say, I am a Christian and I believe sin is wrong, then adding virtue is trying to live out that statement, that belief, by giving up the sin. This is why James says that faith without works is dead. Your faith means nothing if there's no activity being lived out. And so let your faith be supplemented by virtue, by your actions, by what you're, you're doing. Then he says, let your virtue be supplemented with knowledge. This means that as Christians, we have an obligation to continually be growing in our knowledge of Christ, of our uh, the knowledge of truth. And as we talked about, I think, last week or two weeks ago, and it's, it's something I've actually been looking into a whole lot this week, uh, this past week, is, is this idea of truth, that we, we have faith and we supplement it with our actions, with our virtue, but we should be adding to that our knowledge, our knowledge of the truth. And what I would co contend is that the word truth in the New Testament is not just a statement of fact, that this is true and this is true, the sky is blue, that's a fact. But truth in the Bible implies an experiential truth that if I tell you the sky is blue, you prove it by looking at the sky and saying, yes, I can experience this reality, the sky is blue. If you walk out at night and say the sky is blue and you look up and it's not blue, it's not truth because it, it doesn't match reality, even though we'd say, no, of course the sky is blue. But if it doesn't match reality, experiential truth, then it's not really true. That's why the Bible says you will know the truth, reality, and the truth will set you free. That when you know the reality of God and His goodness, the reality of His promises, the reality of Christ as Savior, it sets you free to live without sin, without uh, bondage to the devil. And so he's saying that even though you have faith and you're living your faith with excellence, with virtue, you need to be growing in knowledge. You need to be growing your grasp of God's truth. And then he says, to add to knowledge, self-control. Now, self-control is where 
most of us run into a problem as Christians because we can we can say we have faith in Jesus that begins to transform our lives then we want to go to Bible studies, we want to read the Bible, we go to church, we're growing in knowledge, we're growing in hearing God's voice and intimacy with Him in prayer. But when it comes to self-control, it means a restraint in your emotional life, in your passions, and in your impulses. And, and I think this is where most Christians start getting in trouble, especially in this season, because self-control doesn't just mean a, a full life lived in self-control, but it's talking about in those moments, those tense situations where you want to explode, you have to be in control of your emotions and, and your impulses. And so uh, I would point to social media on this. You may think, no, I'm very self-controlled. I, I, I live a self-controlled life. But then when you're reading social media posts and, and somebody's arguing whether, you, we'll, we'll talk practically, somebody's arguing you have to wear a mask when you go in public and somebody else is saying masks don't work and they're saying no, but the government uh, says you have to, Romans 13, and somebody else is saying it's a conspiracy, they're trying to trap us, and all of these things. And so, you know, you may be self-controlled, but you read one, you read another, you read another, you read another, until eventually you can't take it and you have a an outburst by responding whatever it is on your mind, graciously or not, when it's not something that the Holy Spirit is leading you to say or get involved in. You, that's what it's talking about, that we have to have self-control, that the knowledge of the Christian life and how we're trying to live out it is expanded, it's grown in us, the divine nature is grown in us as we develop self-control. Once we've developed self-control, he says, add to that steadfastness. Now, uh, one, uh, I can't remember which one it was now, uh, and the abbreviation is the, the BDAG, but I don't remember the full title. It's a, it's a New Testament Greek dictionary, but it, it says that steadfastness means this, the capacity to hold up or bear up in the face of difficulties, the capacity to hold up when difficulty comes. And so that's not just talking about self-control when your emotions are, are being challenged, when your passions are overwhelming you, but it's saying when difficulty comes, when everything is actually coming against you. So our emotions might have a perceived fear of danger, but now when the danger actually comes, this is where steadfastness comes in. We self-control when the danger is perceived, but steadfastness comes when the danger is experienced, when you actually have to take a stand for what you say you believe, your faith, which is that, that bottom level. So faith lived out in virtue, knowledge is added to that, we add to that our self-control, but now steadfastness, that all of those first four things are being attacked, your Christian faith is being attacked, you're being persecuted. He says you have to, to, to be steadfast, you have to stand fast, you have to stand strong whenever this happens. And that by doing that, see, here's what that means, it means you can live an upright Christian life when things are going well and when challenges come. Now, 
All of us can do the Christian life when things are going well because it requires nothing of us. But when it goes bad, when it gets difficult, when it gets dangerous, that's where the real, I don't want to say it harshly, but historically this has been the view, that's when the real Christians stand up and the pretending Christians fall away. Once you have learned steadfastness, then it says you, that you can increase that with godliness. Now, godliness, obviously, it, it just means Christ-likeness in your character and in your reputation. And, and again, talking about steadfastness, was Christ holy? Yeah, and so we want to be holy like he is, but Christ was also silent before those who murdered him, who persecuted him. That's part of Christ-likeness, too, is giving an answer when an answer is demanded and not giving an answer when you're being challenged on false, baseless issues, right? Like, I don't have time to go into this, but I've, I've just been thinking about how Jesus answers Pilate, but then when he stands before Herod, he has nothing to say. And, and it's because of who's challenging him and how they're challenging him. Christ-likeness knows when to speak up, when to not speak, when to stay silent. It knows when to be bold and flip tables over and when to show compassion to uh, the woman caught in adultery, when to speak uh, challenging but compassionate words to the woman at the well. It's in the steadfastness. It's in handling the difficulty, the difficult situations. And I would argue right now, we're not talking about active persecution, but this is a difficult season for Christians. Those of us here in Uganda, we still can't have church. Kenya is opening churches for 100 people, one hour service, no children, no elderly, with a lot of restrictions. America is all over the place. But through this, we learn godliness. We learn Christ-likeness. And once we learn Christ-likeness, this is where the real fruit of Christianity starts to come out. He says, then you add to that brotherly love. The sad reality is most Christians today don't understand this brotherly love. The Bible tells us, you know, do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. Brotherly love, it's the Greek word Philadelphia, and, and it, it literally is talking about the love for a sibling, the, the family type love, but it's applied to um, the, the Christian community here. That as you're learning steadfastness, as you're growing up, you have to learn to love your brother in the body of Christ the same way you love yourself. And so when you see them falling down in their faith, you do everything you can to pull them up. When you see them persecuted and in need, in lack or hurting or sick, that you sacrifice your own emotions and will to go love them the same way Christ did. This is a love for the family of God. And then finally, he says, add to the brotherly affections, the brotherly love, love. And so we move from Philadelphia love, brotherly love, to agape love, which it's simply the overflowing reflection of the love of God. I mean, there's a lot of definitions. It's a, it's a very expansive word. I, I, I could go into it. I'm not going to, but it, it just means that we come to the place where we're not just caring for those who uh, are our brothers and sisters in Christ, but our 
the love flowing out of us overflows from us for the whole world, for everybody, and we want to point people back to Christ. And so our faith starts with ourself. Our life begins to conform. We start building a reputation for being like Christ. When challenges come, we prove that we can stand firm on who He says we are and what He says we have. And that pushes us to become more like Christ. That reputation expands and then how we love one another starts growing until our love just overflows and we can't contain it and we become the, the passionate people of God who love everyone without consequence, without objection, without holding anything back. This is difficult, but it's what Jesus exemplified when he gave himself on the cross for the whole world, right? And so let's go back and look. I want to read what we've read so far in line so we can understand what he's saying. His divine power, the power of God, the Holy Spirit in us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We're called to live up to His standard by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge." and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. We'll keep reading. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Let me stop there. These aren't qualities you get once forever. You can't make a profession of faith as a little child and say it's one and done. All of these qualities, from faith all the way up to the, the love and every level in between, they have to be increasing. So if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind. He cannot see beyond his face. He cannot see beyond himself. He's so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's a huge promise and a huge challenge. If we practice these qualities, that we're making our calling and our election in Jesus Christ certain. It we're proving that we're His. Philippians tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not saying work it out, make sure you're saved. It's saying, literally, you're saved, now put it into work. Put it into action. Live out what's inside. And, and Peter is telling us that if we're doing this, if we are building our faith with virtue, our virtue with knowledge, with self-control, with steadfastness, with godliness, with brotherly affection, with love, that we will never fail. Because what does Corinthians tell us? Love never fails. And so I just want to challenge us today. We're in this weird season where 
I, 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 I was talking to my wife last night and I was just telling her honestly, I'm struggling with some things. Um, I'm, I'm struggling with some anxiety about different things. I'm struggling uh, emotionally with some different things because of this season we're in. I read an article this week talking about the, the COVID brain. And it was talking about how people with all of the overwhelming information from this coronavirus, our brains are literally going fuzzy. We can't think because of the overwhelm and not knowing how to process it, not knowing what to do about it. And, and I think a lot of Christians in this season are getting discouraged and backing down. And I just want to remind us today, don't back down. Hold on to your faith. And if faith is all you have, that's fine. But hold on to it and build it. And as soon as you can stand firm in your faith, then start adding virtue with your life, credibility to your faith by how you live, adding knowledge, studying the Bible, praying, getting in intimacy with the Lord, practicing self-control, practicing steadfastness when difficult challenges come, putting on godliness, demonstrating that you're like Christ and loving both the people of God, the, your family of faith who are also struggling right now, and then finding ways to love everyone. Listen, there's so much we can be doing right now in this season from where we are, and most of us are missing it because we're not practicing these things. And so that's what Peter told us. He said if you're increasing in these things, you won't be ineffective or unfruitful. And so practice these qualities so that you will never fail. Listen to me. It's difficult. It's a process. But it's so good and it's what we're called to. And if we continue doing these things, listen, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. It doesn't matter if you're messing up or, or not doing what you feel like you're supposed to be doing all the time. I'm not talking about sin, but I'm saying God's speaking to us. And sometimes like we just get overwhelmed and we don't live up to the calling He has for us. But if we're practicing these things constantly, trying to grow, trying to put on that divine nature, becoming more like Him... We'll never fail. We're, we're never going to fail him. We're loved. We're blessed. He's going to see us through. And so I just want to pray for us today. Lord, would you help us? Lord, you have given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And yet so often we struggle internally with our emotions, with, with the wounds that we carry from the past, with our doubts, with our fears, with our anxieties. Lord, you want to release us from all of those things so that you can call us higher in you. Lord, you want to lead us just from that basic faith up to the point where we can love everyone without restraint, love everyone unconditionally the same way you love us. So God, I pray for us that you would help us wherever each person listening is at right now this week. Lord, would you just help them to add a little bit more, to grow a little bit more. Lord, we know we will not be perfect in in a moment's notice until we're completely transformed into eternity and we put on that final body. But right now for this life, God, where you have called us, where you have elected us to be representatives for your kingdom right now, help us to look a little more like you. Help us to live out the Christian life by adding these things. Father, help us to stand Father, so that we won't fail, so that we won't fail you, so that we won't fail ourselves, so that we won't fail your kingdom. Grow us, Holy Spirit. We invite you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I, I hope that encourages some of you. I know uh, I've needed to hear some of this this week, and, and I honestly, I didn't get super applicational because I think the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you the application for yourself, but I know that, that for some of you, this is a timely word, and so pray through it. Again, that is 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 3 through 10. Read it, study it, put these things into practice so that your life can be conformed. And we would love to hear from you. Any testimonies you want to share, anything good going on in your life in the midst of everything going wrong in the world, we want to hear from you. You can leave comments uh, right now on the live video. You can leave comments afterwards in the replay. You can send us an email, info at sozoministries.net. You can connect with us right there on that website, sozoministries.net. Um, you can submit prayer requests there. We'll send them out to our prayer team. If you're watching this and you, you want to support our ministry, you want to help us continue doing what God has called us to do, all of that's on the website as well. You can get all of that information there. But listen, we, we love you. And, and I, I am not just here recording videos for you to watch, but I want you to know I really am praying for you. I really am praying that God uses this to encourage you and to equip you. And so until we see each other again next week, put these things into practice. And God...